HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Shaxbury Cider. Hey, this is Hannah Forden. I'm the program manager here at Heritage Radio Network. This year, we're celebrating HRN's 10th anniversary, and I want to thank all of our listeners and members for being a part of an incredible year of food radio. We never would have made it this far without all of you. So HRN is now in its summer fun drive, and this is when we turn to you and ask that you make a donation to help ensure a bright future for food radio. Whether you listen to one show or 20, there's a reason why you keep tuning in week after week. All of our content is powered by a small nonprofit, and we rely on your generosity to keep going. Help us keep broadcasting the most thought-provoking, entertaining, and educational conversations happening in the world of food and beverage. So become a member today. To celebrate our 10th anniversary, we have some brand new member gifts available online, so I encourage you to snag your new favorite pizza-themed t-shirt or enamel pin today and show the world how much you love HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate so you can snag your 10th anniversary member swag. And thank you. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 150 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. How many of those countries do we think are listening now? All of them, or hopefully at least all the ones I can name. I often think if I could write a list of 150 different countries, and I, I honestly think I would be challenged. We didn't have a lot of geography when I was in school. <laughs> hopefully they are all turning into Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. And today, joining us in the shipping container studio in the backyard of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. We have a familiar voice. I was going back and I was looking at when the first episode was that she was on, and it was back in 2017. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Tech Bites started in January of 2015. Today, if you're listening in the future, is July 23rd, 2019 and we had the first episode in January of 2015 so it's been a while that's phenomenal we're gonna hit 200 soon Hi, uh, party 
So joining us today is Cheryl. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Durkee? Durkee. That's Cheryl Durkee. Yeah. Formerly Clements. Yeah. Formerly Clements, hence the pause. Currently Durkee. Formerly CEO and founder of a company called Pie Shell. Currently vice president of brand identity for a company called It's a Checkmate. And we've actually had the founder and CEO, Vishal, on the show also. He was actually on almost a year ago in May of 2018. Yeah, you on you, a show about delivery tech, well, restaurant delivery tech. That's that's the world we're in now. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we have Cheryl back on today. She is a great uh, expert in what's happening in the food tech space, and she's also recently made a really interesting pivot. And if you are a regular on the food tech conference circuit and event circuit, and read all the blogs and the social medias, the pivot is a big deal, and it's really kind of specific to tech and startups in that most old school traditional businesses um, really have very specific you know metrics about what success means and it usually boils down to like profit and product yeah but the innovation groups value information and networking and iterating and things like that it's a very different paradigm yeah it, it, it definitely is I think a lot of people you know, pivot allows you to change your mind um, and step away from something that might not be the right thing. And I, some of us of generations that are a little older than others, you know, always learn, you know, you never give up and you never give up the fight and things like that. And I think that's not necessarily what pivoting is. Pivoting is understanding that maybe the path you're on isn't the right one and you need to get on a different path. And, and tech typically affords you a wider variety of things to do um, because sometimes for me specifically I have always looked at opportunities that present themselves and if that's something I want to do you know I was an accountant at General Mills when I started my career and they bought and installed the largest software package in the world it wasn't then but it turned into which was you know SAP and I had the opportunity to consult and all of a sudden start installing a tech software solution around the world with my first client in Pakistan. And that's that's a pivot, you know, but because it's very hard to change your career path without stopping, quitting, going back to school for four years, getting a new degree. And tech typically is a little bit more lenient in looking at what you bring to the table and the skills and how they can utilize those less sometimes about your pedigree. Well, before we get to the big pivot, we're going to do our usual upfront admin like we always do. We're going to talk about apps. And before, even before, before we get to apps, I would be grossly negligent if I did not pause and congratulate our engineer and studio manager, Matt Patterson, on his recent nuptials. Thank you, thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything before because I didn't kind of, you know, like want to jinx it, but you're back, you're married. It was amazing. It was wonderful. Congratulations. It was a ton of fun. And yes, all of the paperwork has been signed. Excellent. So we, are, we are married. Congrats. Jen and I. Jen and I are married. That was the we. <laughs> Congratulations. Yes, we'll be looking forward to your 200th episode. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, yeah, what is an episode in this context? A day? How many, how many days? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Depend, I think that's personal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So you said that you had a wedding-related app for us. Well, it was something that came up. It actually just came up yesterday um, because so it was not some like wedding planning thing. It was that we realized that uh, there were some people putting Instagram stories up of our wedding that we like really wished we could hold on to. But the whole point of an Instagram story is that it is ephemeral. It disappears after 24 hours. Correct. So luckily, there are people out there who have created um, apps for this. And admittedly, I have only tried one. Um, but it's called like Insta- Story Saver, I believe it's called for Instagram. And... Um, and it does it does what it advertises. It allows you to go out there and snatch stuff that you're not supposed to be able to snatch and keep it, um, which I was pretty psyched on because I really wanted to. So when did you discover that people were doing Instagram stories of your wedding? And then how quickly in real time did you have to solve the problem of recording them? Was so this I, all happening in real time? Did so you I don't know about the... I mean, I think... Uh, well, you probably know better than I. I I'm not much of an Instagrammer. Uh, <laughs> 24 hours, I thought, was the window for a story. But I, I guess I'm not sure. All I know is that I snatched one, uh, the, the one that made me think of this, uh, and then I checked again today, and it's already gone off the Instagram platform. So it's, it's pretty quick, whatever it is. And um, I did not check to see if this somehow allows you more of a window, but uh, but certainly if you're within the window, like if you've seen somebody's Instagram story that you know you would, would like, then then it allows you to snag it. So, but did you make this discovery during your wedding? Uh, Were you like, oh my god, people are Instagramming stories of the wedding? I have to figure out how to save them. It was like the next day when we were sort of like and the clock perusing. was ticking. Well, because, you know, you, you have a photographer come out, but you don't see those pictures for a while. So we started looking around at, like, okay, well, what pictures can we find, like, right now? And obviously, I didn't take any because I was busy. <laughs> um, so, so you started, you know, sign. start looking around at Instagram and all that and realize, like, oh, wait, shoot, some of these are here, but they're in this other form. So, yeah. Fantastic. Yep. I love that. And, yeah, you're not really an Instagrammer. I am. I am not. But um, but no. Thankful for it um, because it made some people do some funny, some funny stuff. Excellent. Saved forever. Indeed. Or at least as long as there's the internet. Yeah. At least until we get to the Mad Max phase. Oh, they were playing Mad Max in, in Roberta's earlier today, and you know I would welcome. Oh my it. God! For a minute, Looks I thought like you were going to say they were playing Mad Max at your wedding, and I was going to say that's an interesting choice. entertainment choice yes. you know, for a wedding. But hey. Each to their own. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we did, We at a pivotal moment of our wedding reception, we did play a song from Kill Bill, so I feel like Mad Max wouldn't have been that far out of the uh, realm of possibility. All right. Well, as long as I get to be Furiosa, I'm fine. <laughs> Cheryl, do you have an app that you like right now that you use very frequently, and you can't talk about any apps that you might invest in, which I have to tell the entrepreneur set. Oh, note to self, I will not invest in any apps that I chit-chat about. Um, I actually, July 1st, I moved to Brooklyn. And so it's all about making my life easier. And so most of the apps I've been using are actually apps to go with products that I'm using, such as um, Litterbox, which is an automated litter box for my cat, which makes my life so easy. Don't ask. It's, it's totally bougie, but it's phenomenal. Orbi, which is my new router. iRobot, which vacuums my floor while I'm working away. And so I'm actually kicking it very old school. And my favorite app is IFTTT, so that they all talk to one another. So I've got it set up that if my cat uses a litter box, 
after it does its little cycle, my little robot goes out and cleans the floor so that there's no litter. So I don't have to go to the washroom and step in cat litter on my way. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying that one. It's, I'm setting up all these little scenes to have things done in my house so I don't have to do it. That's amazing. <laughs> it's really, I, think, I think that's what technology is supposed to be for. It, that's the way I, I love tech because I, I say to people I'm lazy, they say I'm efficient. <laughs> but I'm like, I don't want to do something 10 different times in 15 different ways. I want to find the most effective way to get it done and it be done. And if I don't have to be involved, that's brilliant. So fantastic. I love that. So as I said before, Cheryl has been here before. Cheryl first made her appearance back in 2017. And that was episode 87, just for context. So about 100 episodes ago. And that episode was called Get Mentored. And I would do segments, shows where I would ask an entrepreneur and a founder what type of help they thought they need to bring their business to the next level. And then I try and bring an expert in that arena or someone who you know sells that product into the studio so that they can have a conversation about it. Because much of the food tech world and the tech world is about uh, mentorship and sharing information and all that kind of stuff, collaboration. So you were on that show for your crowdfunding platform company, PyShell, with Stephen Hall from Hall PR Company, because at that juncture, you said that what she thought you needed most was PR. Yeah, PR marketing, and and Stephen was a great insight, and has turned into a wonderful ally. Um, You know, we've participated in different events over the course of you know the years that we've been knowing of one another so I appreciate the introduction but yeah it was it was a really helpful um episode for me to be able to talk about different things and the challenges we were having and have an expert and yourself as well you bring a lot to the table with your restaurant background and so that was super helpful I can remember the episode itself was fantastic but actually riding back on the subway with both of you and really (laughs) and you know because both of you were there yeah it it just it it continued Mm -hmm. and that that is really what I took from it is that you know there's no bad connections even though you know Stephen was restaurant PR I mean he could absolutely add value to my you know little crowdfunding platform and then we had you on for episodes 133 and 134 which was a recording of the panel that I moderated at General Assembly which was called Tech and Food and it was a panel of women founders and CEOs which was a great those are two great episodes those are from 2018 I believe and then the last time you were on which is a great thing I think to kick off Um, what you've been up to because it just really encapsulates I think a perfect storm of what Pie Shell was about and the type of um, industry equity and and connections that you have you were on episode 158 last year which was an episode about pilot works where if you're in the food space in New York City or in the tech space in the world you know that pilot works was a food company production, almost like a co-working space for food makers and food producers, if you could imagine that. Instead of having stations where you had a computer or you plugged into Wi-Fi, like a traditional co-working space, it had uh, kitchen kitchen stalls where people would go and they'd cook and they'd make product and they'd package things and then they would sell them. So it expanded very rapidly. It was in the Pfizer building in Brooklyn and they had a couple outposts across the country and it was really kind of one of the darlings of the food startup venture back they got a ton of money as you do million 
13 million dollars they burned through it 10 months and then one day in november they basically shut the door and put everybody on the street and there were literally like pots of food cooking on the stove and they had to turn off the alarm they had to turn off the fire and just leave it so it was a disastrous story because the companies were put out in november which was the money time for all of them to make their money in with the holidays with the holiday season yeah and it's actually something also that we covered on Heritage Radio Network on Meet and Three. It was a they did a special episode about the closing of Pilot Works, and it's something that really um, created a really strong visceral reaction for the food community. And Cheryl, vis-a-vis Pie Shell, got together with some other food industry folks and, and tell us what you did because it was really quite extraordinary. Thank you. Um, yeah, Mike Winnick, uh, the founder of Our Harvest. Um, also I'd, been on the show. Yeah, he was he was uh, on that show specifically with with me um, and a couple other folks. And but when when it actually happened at six o'clock at night and they went in and locked the doors, I mean the text started flying between the networks and mentors at PilotWorks, and um, you know because it, it it wasn't just a concept location. These were people that were actually in manufacturing, had customers, had orders, and you hit the nail on the head. It's coming up on, you know, holidays and, you know, they're some of their largest production times. And when they were kicked out, literally put on the street, um, I posted in on LinkedIn. Mike emailed me immediately and said, we, you know, we need to help. And the one thing that I could do being a food and beverage crowdfunding platform and actually knowing, you know, a disproportionate number of the um, makers of PilotWorks, I immediately launched a project on the site. And so we stood it up to raise money for um, the the members that wanted and or needed it. And and I say it like that because there were many um, members and producers there that waived any financial um, compensation that we could have provided them. They were incredibly generous and shared that we're okay. We, yes, took a hit, but we're going to be okay. But so-and-so and XYZ and ABC over there, they were impacted far worse than we were. And we would rather waive ours so that it goes to the people that really need it. And that is as you said, in a nutshell, summed up what I wanted Pie Shell to be. I, I started Pie Shell to make a difference, to help people. Um, when did it, you start it? I, oh gosh, I came up with the idea um, in the fall of 2015-ish um, and stood up a white label. It was called Fun to Feast, and it was just to really figure out what was working or not working, took that down, rebranded, um, worked with phenomenal mentors, and then stood up an MVP, which in the tech world stands for most minimal viable product. And launch, which is basically like an idea on a cocktail nap, correct? And a website, correct. so people can look at something and maybe give you feedback, or download something, or like something. Yeah, and and my mo- and my model was um, very Wizard of Oz. Don't let them work, look behind the curtain. You know, like make sure the website looked as solid as possible. But if that meant that we had to do a lot of manual stuff in the background to keep it up and running, that was great. And we launched on October fourth of twenty sixteen, and um, we launched with four projects, and we immediately got five and. Um, um, they were all successful, and we ended up 
having to shut our doors at the end of March of just this past year, 2019. So PieShell was basically a crowdsourcing platform, but specific to food and yeah. restaurants. Anything in the food and beverage space. So restaurants, uh, food trucks, uh, you know, any CPG type of, even services. We had, we had a food consultant that raised funds to do um, webinars so that he could sell courses to different people. So we really wanted it to be everything in that, in that vertical. So which some people were like, that's a really small vertical. It, and we know in that world that it's actually a really large vertical. Um, and it is not a vertical that's going away. I learned when I was very young from a recruiter, there's always going to be two industries in this world. People are always going to eat and they're always going to make garbage. So those are the two that are kind I of recession proof. Like and taxes. <laughs> those are two things that are inevitable. Ah, got Those it. are the items that are inevitable. Got but it. But the industries that we're going to always need when you're in a recession, you know, um, which is there was the recession in the 80s and I ended up working at General Mills because they were still hiring and we were like, why are they hiring? Well, because people need to eat. And so those industries are as bulletproof sometimes as you can get, but uh, yeah. Have you ever, it's outside the food space, but have you read or heard about the lipstick indicator? I have. I haven't read it. Well, it's just an yeah. idea and a concept yeah. that lipstick sales go up when yeah. the economy goes down. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, because it's a very small purchase. To make yourself feel to better. To make yourself feel better. Yeah. 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 The, the lipstick. I forget exactly what it's called, but it's like the lipstick indicator or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think someone actually turned something. Maybe it was a TED Talk or something, but I, I think it, it's... I feel like it was Estee Lauder who noticed that or something like that. One of those... Okay. Um, oh, icons in, in, mm-hmm. in the world. Female icon. Let's just exactly. add that. Exactly. Oh, so I also want to point out for the people listening that it takes... Four times to get Jennifer all to yourself. <laughs> that's something I'm excited about. It's just you oh, and me today. Interesting. It is. It's just you and me today because I've always had company. So I've never thought girl about time. that. Yeah, it's okay. just, just the two of us. So we're just, just the two of us just and 100 listeners from 150 countries. Exactly. As it should be. Girl chat. So, yeah. So we are going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor. Did you know that Heritage Radio is a 501c3 nonprofit? And we keep the lights on and the mics hot from the generosity of our members who are listeners like you, grants, and underwriters like this one. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Shaxbury Cider, who believes cider can be daring, complex, and eminently drinkable. Located in Virgennes, Vermont, Shaxbury make a broad offering of ciders, from the bright and fruity rosé to inventive, small-batch wild apple fermentation. Each fall, Shaxbury takes to the hills of Vermont to forage for the wild and forgotten fruit that make up their lost apple project. Shaxbury, producer of the first American-made Petnat Cider, continues to experiment every year with limited edition ciders designed to spotlight locally foraged fruit. To learn more, visit Shaxbury.com or follow them on Instagram at Shaxbury. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today we have a guest, 
Cheryl Durkee, who has been standing at that intersection of food and technology for quite a few years. She started a company called PieShell, which was a crowdfunding platform for restaurants and food products and food tech, which she closed last year and is now the vice president of brand identity for a company called It's a Checkmate, which basically merges all the delivery platforms for restaurants into one pipeline that can feed directly into a restaurant's POS system, which is a great idea. Well said. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good. you got yeah, it. Yeah, I do. That's I it. do. But there's also a very helpful infographic on the restaurant <laughs> website. Yes. Or not the restaurant, on the It's on a our, Checkmate on website, website yeah. which is itsacheckmate.com Correct. for people listening at home. And also, It's a Checkmate. So one of the things, you know, and Cheryl has been on the show a bunch of times, one of the things that was very interesting about Pie Shells, because it was tech and because it was also a platform for emerging products, you spent quite a bit of time going around the country to all the different events and meeting with people, the startup events, the stand-up, the incubators, the innovators, everything from Food Bites to Food X. Yeah, I did. I, I really was incredibly honored to be invited. I was, you know, um, a speaker at Smart Kitchen Summit and invited to the inaugurable inaugural food tech event at CES, the very first food tech community event that Michael Wolf put on last year, and there's going to be another one in January, and as well as talking to a lot of the CPG kind of things and working with incubators and accelerators from FoodX and Food Future and, um, you know, Union Kitchen and, uh, you know, Kitchen Town and Canadian ones as well, because I am Canadian, even though I got my citizenship, I'm a good American now. Welcome, 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 oh, that, welcome. That, Happy that to sound, be here. That sounds like a Canadian accent. Yeah, well, you're you're not going to get. <laughs> you can take the girl out of Canada, but you can't take Canada out of the girls. So, but no, it was it was an amazing opportunity to grow and expand and learn. And I am constantly fascinated by the ideas and the concepts that people are coming up with, and and how they can take an idea such as, um, you know, taking the remnants of beer like regrained and turning it into a bar but then actually understanding that the bigger picture is using that product as a tool and the tech behind it and that it's not really about another bar it's actually about another you know reducing waste and things like that and, and a patent exactly mm-hmm. and and that's for where the process of correct. what to do with the beer waste yeah and and what they've done with that is is phenomenal and and that is something that i always loved and so i was happy to be part of those events so you have i mean the intro we've done shows with founders called The Pivot previously, and it's a very popular topic at events and tech meetups and things like that because of the learnings behind it. It's also a popular topic because it seems very incongruous sometimes when founders do pivot because the company seems so well-placed and so successful. I mean, Pie Shell was, yeah. you know, a great idea. You were all over the place. People love food. We know people love food. People yeah. are crazy food yeah and and I'm not I'm never I I don't think you'll find me saying that it wasn't a good idea and it wasn't a great platform that the challenge I had candidly was finding the money because um, I followed the stereotypical venture concept of build the MVP then go out and get money 
that's what I was told to do. Um, not understanding how incredibly laborious that is and hard that is. And when you're a single founder, I didn't have my first employee until the last year. I had to lay them off in January of this year. We shut the doors in March. But when you're doing everything yourself and you're putting the lion's share of your focus on tracking down funding, when in hindsight, um, there's definitely things I would have done differently and learnings that I've taken from it, such as a co-founder, is just the way the game is played. Um, and it would have been great if I had found someone that truly believed in what I was doing and could have had them along for the ride and shared that. It, I'm not gonna say it wouldn't have helped if it didn't look like your stereotypical tech co-founder of what they're looking for when you're talking to investors as well. That probably wouldn't hurt either. Um, you know, things like that, making revenue instead of funding type things. There were there were things like that. And there was a lot of lessons to be learned, which was wonderful. And even even the ending of Pie Shell was a lesson to be learned. I don't know if, if you've heard about this, but um, I raised money for my own platform on an equity crowdfunding site and raised over $300,000 and one of our key investors wrote a check for 100000 and that was Wilson Tsai and Wilson um, when I sent the email explaining that I was going to have to shut Pie Shell down he sent me a reply which had some feedback that candidly he admits would have been <laughs> better served if I'd had a little bit earlier but regardless I was happy to have it um, and unbeknownst to me he posted it on a Facebook group Group and LinkedIn. And on a Saturday morning, was this a public email that you sent to people it in your a, network to make the announcement or was it a private email to one of your investors? It was a private email I had sent to him. Got it. Because he wrote a check that was so large, I, I wrote... And I, rightly so. It, I wrote, wrote him a private email Makes letting him know what was going to happen. Perfect sense. And he took that. He Did took he his realize it was a private email? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay. No, no. He took his response to me, redacted it appropriately to say... Okay, redacted is, a, is an important detail. Yes. And so... Especially in this day and age. Yeah. Did redact. not Did not share what, uh, you know, who I was or the company and put it on, as I said, a Facebook group and, and LinkedIn. I saw it on the Facebook group, actually, as and I was... And what was the sort of like title of his post? Or it just said... Post? The, well, it was the, the email and no investor ever wants to get is oh, kind okay. of thing right saying that his investment is gone and you know the business is going down and he shared his response and he put it out there as a learning of of what it was and we are still incredibly close and and in, in good contact so I realized that he would put it out there and I put a big response to the Facebook one I didn't know he'd put it on LinkedIn and so Saturday I did that reply Which is Facebook on, for business basically yeah exactly so he Saturday morning he messaged me in LinkedIn he said I need to show you something and I'm like okay and he sent a screenshot and his post had gone viral and had been seen by over 160,000 people and so we And if every one of them gave you a dollar. That is what he wanted to do. That's exactly what he wanted to do. That was his grandmaster plan. And uh Buy but I a dollar for every time exactly. someone reposted this. Yeah. Well, but then what happened is so I shared my response to his original post so that people understood both sides. I'm like, look, I am if I can go out 
in a quote unquote blaze of glory and, and share, you know, information that's helpful to anyone else, then it's it's still worth it that it happened so publicly. And at last count, um, I haven't checked with him anytime soon. This was back in March, but um, our mutual um, things had been seen. His had been seen by over 600,000 and a post that I had shared had been seen by um, close to 100,000 as the well. The two of so. you should turn it into a talk. We maybe should. You should turn yeah. it into a talk at one of these investor food tech, you know, summits stand-up things yeah that's a good idea I'll yeah i mean if, if, out, if you have that if people are that interested in it there's yeah. a reason and yeah. you could do it live as a thing you should come on the show and do it that he's he's in california but definitely uh, we does could, he come we to can, new york sometimes uh, everybody comes to new york sometimes know. he's an angel investor and he actually runs a family business where he everybody comes yeah, to new york but if at he's some here point. i will definitely that would I'll be a great show mind. you should think about that i, I thinking about it right now trust mm-hmm. me i'm because mm-hmm. it was it was fascinating and there the comments itself were like astronomical of well you know they should have this and they should have that and did you do this and did you do that you know on both sides to Wilson and and to me so it was it was really helpful armchair advisor well and and absolutely which is why I provided my side of it because Mm -hmm. people were inferring things that were not correct which that's fine but I wanted anyone's comments and suggestions to be based on fact not fiction and so um so I shared that piece and then it 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 really kind of blew up and so um but it was and so many people were but the thing let me take a step back the thing that I appreciated the most was the incredible outpouring of support because shutting down pie shell was literally one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life I mean laying off my one and only employee um and then you know having to admit defeat for lack of a better word which is not you know a negative thing it's just that it it didn't work I didn't make it work and that's disappointing it's not you know anything that you're going to you know not recover from but it was very very hard to do and it was there was a lot of prices that I paid that were far beyond the monetary loss and I equate it to when you're turning a certain age that you're not happy to turn and then all of a sudden you wake up and there's 200 people on Facebook that wished you happy birthday and all of a sudden it's a better day. That's kind of what it was like because I literally had hundreds and hundreds of people reach out to me, you know, congratulating me and telling me to, you know, they couldn't wait to see what I was going to do next and that my story had helped them and that they were, I was an inspiration. And I mean, it, it humbled me to the core and it was, really amazing to to have that love and support from the network and community that I've been so proud to be a part of. So you talked about, you know, and I, I don't want to ask the question of what would you do differently, because I don't think the hindsight is necessarily the point. Yeah. But definitely experientially, the critical pieces of information that you take with you, obviously community building you were doing intentionally because that was the crux of Pie Shell to create a community that was going to fund these different projects. And that's something you were always very clear about and very passionate about. Did you think you had successfully built a community to this point? Because clearly the, f- the response and the feedback that you got at the end is a proof point that maybe you can't share with an investor, but definitely one that you could hold up as you know, mission accomplished. I, I definitely do, and I always did. I was incredibly proud of the network. Um, and, and it's funny because I don't actually like networking. <laughs> I would not know that. You're really a talker. I you're have a the talker, gift of the gab. You're a talker, you're chatty, you 
always respond to emails and things very quickly. Yeah. Every time I've been at an event, you've been at the event, or Pyshell was a sponsor of the event. Yeah. It surprises me to hear that you're well, I, I not think, a networker. Well, to me, the word networking reminds me of that stereotypical car salesman kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't look at it like that. I looked at it as I was going to things I believed in. I was talking about things I believed in. Um, and that I was spending time with friends and, and making new friends. And But, you know, I'm, there were days that I'd be like, oh, I've got to go to this event. And... But what would constantly happen is you would, you know, find the time and get dressed and get out of your pajamas because when you're a startup founder, you tend to work in slippers a lot. And, you know, getting up and getting dressed and getting out is sometimes the challenge in itself to leave your place of, you know, apartment or wherever you are, your co-working space and go to these different events. And it never ceased to amaze me that every single time the end result was always something so much more positive than if I hadn't gone. And so that's what would always sort of get you going to the next time. But I know I try not to use the word networking because that's that means you've gone on purpose to make a connection, to move the ball down the field. You're not doing that? You weren't it, doing that? Not, not so clinically, no. And I think that's why candidly I think it's why I was good at it because I think people oh, knew interesting they didn't I wasn't preachy and I wasn't salesy and I was just talking you weren't about prospecting no, obviously no and mm-hmm. by you were community building I was community building and, and truly listening to them understanding that them my grandmother used to say a friend in need is a friend indeed and so anyone that came to pie shell whether it was to one of our events or a sponsor or you know a network or an email or someone forwarding something on anytime you would be able to help them was a gift that they gave me it certainly wasn't me giving it back and so you know and i really do believe that and i think that sincerity and that transparency that i tried very hard to do and there are times i'm sure i failed but for the most part that was my goal and i think that's what translated and i think that's why the network that i built was so incredibly supportive at the end and you know, and, and that's something that I will always take as a success for what I've done in my life. So that sounds like a little atypical or non-traditional approach to building a network and a community. Because you, your intention is to further your business. True. Do you think the disconnect in terms of pie shell was the mismatch between a traditional, maybe a, tra- a too traditional business outlook in terms of the way you modeled your business growth up against a non-traditional community building in innovative space? I think that's definitely part of it. I think a big part of it as well is that crowdfunding is just inherently difficult and a very new industry. And so, you know, we were paving the way and it is always you know if you're talking to a cpg brand who is branch banking new on the shelf and trying to make space in a brand new category it's always harder and i would equate it to online dating and i think i've you know maybe even said this on this show before is that you know 10 12 years ago you wouldn't go online to find a date and now there's no other way you would do it and and that trying to bridge that gap for crowdfunding and really helping people understand that it's more crowd marketing and then it's more about helping them move forward and helping you know even investors they would look at you and go well you know five thousand dollars isn't going to help anybody and it's like well if five thousand dollars is from you know five thousand people who now know about your brand 
Of course it will. You know, like one of, you know, a good friend of mine has got a phenomenal company called Mealthy, which is doing an equity crowdfunding right now on Republic. And they've raised already raised over a quarter of a million dollars from over a thousand people. <laughs> there are a thousand people that are going to be out there talking about Mealthy now. And, you know, so and that is you can't buy that. And when people really understand that that's a, a gift that, you know, they're sort of putting out there and. And then when the larger investors stop looking down their proverbial noses at equity crowdfunding specifically and don't think, well, you have to be desperate, a la back to my dating online, you know, you've got to be desperate if you're going online, if you can't find someone in real life. If they don't look at equity crowdfunding as being desperate and truly as a way that the newest and most, you know, sometimes emerging businesses are, are looking to grow their business because they're getting the strategic benefit of this crowd of people that are supporting as well as the financial behind it. You know, then that when that all really comes together, I think that'll be great. But yeah, my stereotypical business model of going out and venture funding and this instead of just actually just cranking through the projects, that would have been a better that would have been a better plan. So if you were doing that event with your investor the viral yeah the viral wilson email. and i the wilson, and, wilson. and i will show road show yeah the wilson <laughs> and cheryl show yeah what would your what would you share with people what would you tell them at the end now that you've walked through the experience of speaking to him and having the public response and in some respects you know not defending yourself but you know letting people see what the internal vision and strategies were if you could encapsulate it to share with people so that and someone who is in their own you know quandary right now as a founder what would you tell them <laughs> how long is this show well we got no. we got like yeah. we have like maybe maybe no, 10 I, minutes Barely. I think not even. I mean, the the first thing that pops to mind is that it and is. You make it good so it'll go viral. It, we want the podcast to go viral. We want the podcast to go viral. It's that, you know, it, it it comes down to a lot of, you know, age old adages of you don't know what you don't know. I had never even thought of startup. I'd never thought of the term entrepreneur. I had no idea it would be as hard as it was, as isolating as it is. Um, and then I'd be very candid. I am, you know, now I'm 52. I was late 40s when I started that. I wasn't 20-something sitting around with a bunch of friends on a sofa coming up with a great idea together. You know, my peers are not people in this space, you know, at the time, you know, so you don't, I didn't have that support. Um, you know, so it, that was something that made, that added challenges to doing something new and innovative and so I think you know just really understanding what you're getting yourself into and the prices that it might that you might have to pay um you know family the opportunity cost the opportunity cost was huge um you know I'll be very candid my relationship didn't make it and Paishal was a part of that, and my, you know, marriage is over now, and, and there's obviously other reasons, but it didn't help, you know, when you are believing in something so strongly, and, and you're using, you know, the funds from your family um, that, you know, someone you know, would have thought would be for your future, and, you know, that's stressful, and, and it's, you know, it's not the only reason, there's a million others, but, but it, 
but it plays a toll on things and friendships and relationships. And for the most part, people were incredibly supportive and understanding. And, you know, I don't regret it. There's things I would do different if I were to go to a new startup myself, um, but there's no regret. I mean, I've said from the moment I had to shut the doors, hashtag no regret, I would, I would do it all over again. How do you learn what you don't know if you don't know? How, how can you how can you actualize that advice? I think you you need to think about the fact of you know what am I doing and you know what is it I want to get into and do more homework at the beginning and find people that are smarter than you every day find someone that's smarter than you and that's something that I knew and had the benefit of from being a former consultant is that I knew that when I walked onto a client site I know more than they do and but the day I leave they needed to know everything that I did and that was my job to transfer every bit of knowledge I had to that client and so and I looked at the same model when I did pie shell is finding some of the best mentors find people that you know ask so many people would ask, you know, what can I do and how can I help? And, and if I asked them for anything, they were incredibly generous with their time. And the ones that are nickel and diming you and charging you for everything, I mean, they're, they're not really in it for the right reasons. And so, you know, just finding people you believe in and, and people that you want to emulate and, and mentors. I mean, your mentor session, I mean, it was super helpful. And you you didn't have to give me that opportunity. You didn't know it was, me. It was good radio. It was, right. But <laughs> it's also helpful. Yeah. And it's also yeah. in the spirit of the entrepreneurial space. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so just do your homework and, and find people that you can trust and look up to and ask the questions. So you have all this experience, and then you also have built a great, and I'm going to use the network word, and built a great network. And you have a great sort of bird's eye view of the food tech space. I do. What would you say are some of the top trends right now? And then do any of those, I'm assuming some of those, roll right into your current position, which is vice president of brand ID at It's a Checkmate. Yeah, and and I think, you know, those sort of all sort of came together and and actually... You're oddly extremely well-suited for a job that probably didn't exist before you got there. It did not exist. And um, my demise at Pieshell is what got me this position because so many people said, oh, what are you going to do next? I can't wait to see what you're going to do. And and they were all very open-ended about it. And and all of a sudden I realized about a month or two after that, I'm like, well, they don't know that now I'm actually looking for, you know, my next step in my career and a job. (laughs) And all I did was I posted and I said, thanks everybody for everything you're doing. And for the ones that want to know, I said, I'm actually now looking for my next assignment. And I had, I'm incredibly fortunate to say I had four or five job offers. I, I politely declined that were phenomenal, but just based on, you know, the hard work I'd already done. And Vishal was one of them who immediately reached out and he said, I'd like to have coffee. And we had met three years prior um, when he had, it's a checkmate with a little bit of a different version. And then to get back to pivot, he pivoted into the tool we've got now, which is an API solution that, as you said, takes the online ordering platforms. Because you could have knocked me over with a feather to find out that, all of these things put tablets in restaurants. It's most, crazy. Most, most of our listeners will probably be very surprised to learn. Every single restaurant delivery app that you've ever heard of that you may use. Yep. All of them. DoorDash, Seamless. Caviar. Caviar. Postmates. Uh, yep. Uber Eats. Yep. All of them. They 
have their own order platform. Mm -hmm. They process the orders and they give the restaurant a tablet. And then that's how the restaurant gets the orders. So when it was just one or two companies, you had one or two tablets. But now there's upwards of 40 different companies offering delivery services. And then you almost need one or two people to transfer the information from the tablet into the restaurant's ordering system. Well, that's the thing, because there's... there's, there's ha- a, that's having a, big a tablet gap. is one thing. Having the staff at the restaurant who have other things to do, like cook mm-hmm. food and serve customers right. and ring people and up. And then you have the human error, they have which to is type, normal. No, but they have to type, type it into the POS system, and then it goes to the back. I, I mean, when Vishal told me this, I'm like, it's what crazy. are you talking it's about? Crazy. There's no so way imagine that's what one do. restaurant with you know 40 tablets yep. somewhere and somebody having to input all of that manually by hand into it has the ordering name. system, and it's insane. It has a name. We call it a tablet farm. Tablet farm. Okay. It's crazy. And so what Vishal has done with It's a Checkmate is we're the, we're the translator between the two systems. We're this cute little API system. We've partnered with, you know, just about every big third party. We call them delivery companies or online ordering because obviously it works for takeout as well. Um, companies that are out there and they send it through our, you know, little piece of tech code and it goes right into the POS system such as Amazing. Toast and Brink. And then it prints. We don't have another tablet. We don't. You don't need another printer. And so, I mean, everyone. Sometimes people think of the ROI as just the cost of the person who was manually doing it. Well, that's lovely. Of course, that money is saved. To me, the bigger thing is we've just helped the customer satisfaction because if you're sitting at home and you've put your order in at Seamless and you're in your pajamas and then all of a sudden the order shows up either late. In your pajamas because you're a founder. Because you're a founder, exactly. <laughs> and you're sitting there and you you know your order shows up late or it's wrong because as you just mentioned, human error. Well, they're not coming back to that restaurant. And the thing that's really challenging is they've just lost that customer. And the customer life value of, of someone who does an online order, they, you know, that's huge and you don't want to lose that customer. And they tend to be, people that use online ordering tend to be a little bit more um, religious with the online platform they use to order from, less so the restaurant. Yes, they're having a relationship with Correct. the delivery service, not actually the restaurant. Correct. And so that's why for the restaurant, you really don't want to lose that customer because you don't even own that data typically. So, you know, so that's that's what, you know, it's a checkmate does. And when Vishal reached out and I learned that this was, you know, a problem and I, you know, I mean, I'm a tech girl. I talked at the beginning. I'm like, I, I use apps all the time for whether it's Zapier or you're actually tech and accounting which is perfect that's it that's it and so you know the fact that there's that he's built this tool and you know and he's working you know with tons of delivery companies and the big POS guys and and making it easier for the restaurant because look you've been in the restaurant world my mom owned a tea room she's been in diners I mean those people work harder than just about anybody anybody. Mm -hmm. on the face of this earth and if we can make their job a little bit better then then we can die happy and hopefully (laughs) help them make a little bit of money because delivery services are tough it's horrible it's horrible and And, yeah I mean that's that's a whole other show and we did a show a long time ago called our delivery services bad for restaurants and the answer kind of is yes yeah it's 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 not a it's not a nice world they're in it's not a win-win now restaurants are making maybe 70 cents on the dollar for the orders yeah because the restaurants pay they pay a lot not the delivery service and i don't know how many consumers know that i'm 
waiting for oh, I had no idea Same. somebody to make to write a big story somewhere well, it, it's about sort of it. out there but it, it's it's especially like this dirty little the, secret especially for the woke generation yeah. that is so yeah. concerned about keeping equity the restaurant and, and keeping money the in their communities and, community and all that and, kind of stuff yeah. it, it it's decimating right. some restaurants. Yeah, which is why some restaurants are going to their own online sites. Mm-hmm. And and apparently that's too much trouble because as you said earlier, people have relationships with the delivery Well, it's, it goes back to, you know, the conversation of, you know, the Amazon world. Mm-hmm. Do you want an aggregator or do you want to go to 40 apps to buy your groceries? I mean, like, restaurants are the same. I mean, if you decide you want a burger, are you really going to download 40 apps if they even have an app that's a cost that a restaurant would have to incur you call them you can you could call them no <laughs> no one uses that thing in their pocket to call with that's yeah but I do. but they do. sometimes i do but but let's talk to the generation that's usually phone. in the online right they're yep. not calling anybody so i, I i'm contemplating a flip phone <laughs> Oh my god! I do that every now and again. Oh my gosh! Make sure you get it in fancy racing red. <laughs> One of the get that matrix get that, slide yeah. flip phone. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, if you want to take a look at, it's a checkmate. It's one word. It's a checkmate.com. That is their social media handle as well. If you want to listen back to that episode of Tech Bites, it was episode 137. It was called Restaurant Delivery Tech. You can hear from Vishal directly about what that's about. It's a really great episode. If you want to hear more from Cheryl and about that amazing work that they did for Pilot Works, that's episode 158. We have the General Assembly episodes 133 and 134. And then way back when, back in 2017, we had that Get Mentored episode number 87. Cheryl, I want to thank you for coming out, coming back. It was a pleasure to have you. Tech Bytes is broadcast live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, your host and producer. Matt Patterson is our engineer. Our theme song, Nomad a CPU Track, is by DJ Uptown Nico. You can find us on social media at TechBytesHRN and on all your favorite podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.